Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Will raise another generation of open-minded individuals that it's an even, even more free generation, even more able to see people's differences and respect them without mm. ignorance. I think a lot of it comes down to ignorance, I think, more than hate. Some families have a mum, a mama, maybe a mummy, Maybe two mummies, maybe a step mummy. Hello, Stu. Hello, Lottie. And hello, listener. And welcome to one of my favourite podcasts, Some Families. I'm Lottie Jeffs, and I am here with the wonderful Mr. Stu Oakley. Oh, yes. One of my absolute favourite podcasts as well, but only because I get to have a little chat with you each week, my dear Lottie. So welcome to Some Families. We are the LGBTQ plus parenting podcast. We are here to support families and also answer questions for those who are curious about queer parenthood. But how are you today, Lottie? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Um, I've had another nice day um, in in lockdown. Well, a slightly less of a lockdown lockdown. It's been one of my days where I'm looking after my daughter. So I work three days a week and I um, look after my daughter three days a week and my wife and I split the weeks like that and we have one family day where we're all together um so today we went mudlarking so we went down to the Thames and we were frolicking about in the in the surf um not quite but we were kind of um yeah just exploring the the shores when the tide was out and just top tip just don't do it don't (laughs) do it with a toddler because I basically spent the whole time trying to stop her running into the Thames so um I'm picking up horrific looking things so it was a nice idea it was quite Dickensian but um yeah don't don't bother love it how are you Stu what have you been up to today I've had a I would say an up and down week this week um something I wanted to speak to you about actually because it just I just found it really interesting um was I wrote a piece for Attitude magazine uh which went live and the feedback has generally been really positive to it. I wrote a piece about how I felt the the term normalising when it comes to queer parenting just didn't sit right with me. And actually, God, why would you want to be normal when being the actual definition of normal is being conforming and stepping in line with everyone else? 
as I say, the feedback to it was mostly great. There were just a few, and I suppose it was my first real experience of internet trolling in a way. Oh no, Stu. Yeah. And it just I just found it really interesting. It's especially because it all came from other queers. And other you know, queer parents or no, just that... well, I don't think so. Just from what I could see, just just general queers who just didn't quite get it. And right. And there were a few just throwaway ones. One compared me to Adina Monsoon, which I just took as the ultimate compliment, to be fair. I mean, is there a better compliment? <laughs> I, I was like, just... darling. <laughs> but then one really hit me because somebody said that they pitied my kids. Uh, yeah, so it just it's just been a bit of a weird week because it just kind of hit me. But it also made me realise that even in amongst the queer community, there's so much and we've talked about it with other people where actually they felt they felt like some of the the negativity they got towards their parenting was from other people in the gay community mm. and I just think it's really interesting that there is an element of the gay community that either just doesn't get queer parenting or just 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 go against it because they feel it goes against what it means to be gay I don't know it's just it was just I just found it really interesting my advice to as a journalist and somebody who's written a whole load of first person pieces about all I mean I've written anything that's happened to me you can find it in print but my one rule is you never read the comments Mm -hmm. just don't read the comments because the thing is whether you're gay or straight there's always going to be people out there and they are the people that comment on articles to cause an argument or want to say something upsetting and you just don't need that in in your life so what you're doing with your with your column is brilliant and I would just say don't engage with the comments I just say keep doing what you're doing and don't let the bastards get you down thank you that's what I say yeah but on the note of social, just before we get into today's episode, there was also something else I just wanted to... It's been amusing me greatly because we have our Some Families Instagram account, at Some Families Pod. Go and follow us, go share, go just love us on the socials. But there's one person, every time I notice, because I get notifications, every time we post a story or anything, there's this one person that continually likes things. And this person, I was like, God, wow, this person really likes us. And I clicked on this person today, this afternoon, and it suddenly clicked that this person is mummy Lottie Jeffs. And it just made me smile so much. Oh, my mum. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, my mum is a big fan. Oh, she's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. This person who I've been like, wow, this person really digs us. I was like, oh, it's Lottie's mum. Oh, no, I lo- love it. She's there with a hand clap emoji at anything <laughs> and everything. She's our biggest fan. Hi, mum. Yeah, that's so sweet. Um, so so today we are welcoming two mums onto our yes. show, Jade and Kim. And we got to chat to them from their kitchen table. In Essex, because again, we are still in lockdown and we are still not allowed to share microphone germs with one another. (laughs) Yeah, we had a really interesting chat to them, actually. It was particularly interesting for me, um, as they are a mummy and a mama, just like me and my wife are. But they're a mixed race couple. And so they 
talk really interestingly about the experience of finding a donor that matched their own um, ethnic makeups and what that experience is like. So have a listen and then we'll see you on the other side. We met via MySpace, actually, so probably way before wow. people started. We are literally like the original online daters. Uh, we're living in Essex. We're, we're, we're both East London slash uh, Essex-based um, originally. So uh, we're currently, we're still in Essex at the moment. Um, we were living in, in Hackney until um, I got pregnant and then we decided to relocate properly. And were you kind of conscious at all of being somewhere a bit more sort of out of London? I think I was definitely more aware that we might be different, that there, there wouldn't be as many families like ours around. Jade's mum lived in the part of Essex that we moved to, um, so we knew the area quite well anyway. It was starting to become a lot more diverse. Um, so we, I don't think I'd say that I was too worried about it, but definitely it was a consideration. Obviously, there's other things to consider other than the fact that we're two women with a child but obviously you know uh, culture race all of these things come into it as well so you don't want the child to feel isolated in any way yeah I think I think it was as as he was starting to get older and obviously he's still like quite a while away from thinking about school uh but a few years down the line he will be and we'll be considering those options so we started to think about do we want him to be probably the only child in his class or definitely within his year group that has to same-sex parents, do we want him to be the only black child within his class? Uh, no, we don't. So we had to find a middle ground um, of somewhere where we border so many different cultural diversities, sexual diversities. How long into the relationship was it that you first started discussing the prospect of children together? I think definitely the discussions would have been earlier. Early I think on, it, yeah. it, I, I was really young, you were still quite young and it was something that I think we both had to have that conversation. Do we want to have kids further down the line? Um, And we both did. So there was no pressure straight away to be like, okay, we want to do it within the next two years, the next three years. But I think we both were on the same page that, yeah, towards our life goal, that's what we would aim for. So could you talk a bit about that moment where you were like, let's just do it. Let's do it tomorrow. I think we had, we'd been engaged for five years four years before we got married we we didn't plan to get married really quickly we were just engaged um but then we decided that we wanted to have a baby we we felt that we were old enough we'd we'd gone far enough sort of having our fun um we traveled etc and we decided okay let's do it and we then looked at the legalities as i'm sure you guys know around it and it just didn't make sense for the non-biological parents to have to go through adoption and so on and so forth so we I'd say not rushed through our wedding because we'd been engaged for so long, but we just decided to get married. Yeah, um, I think that there was a, it wasn't just about the getting married for us. I think mm. it was getting married with intention. Yeah. You know, so we can mm. get to, so we can get to something else. So um, definitely having a, having a child was there was that intention, and we wanted yeah. to make sure we were we were there before we got to that. We were at A before we got to B, kind of thing. Yeah. How do you, how do you guys feel about that? Um, that law that you have to be married to both be considered the biological um, parents what do you guys think about that because I feel kind of conflicted I'm not sure how I feel about it and to follow up on that question because it's actually something I'm not aware of so it'd be great if you could just explain as well as answering that what actually the law is and what that states so it it basically states that if two same-sex parents I believe it's women um, I'm not sure of the perspective from a gay man's uh, point of view 
but with two women you need to be either married um or go through adoption to both have legal guardianship legal parentship of the child um if not the birth mother has all the rights so it doesn't really matter who's biologically connected it's the mother that gave birth yeah. that then becomes the legal recognized parent which yeah to is crazy yeah i think it's crazy to to go back on your question then lotte i think just looking at the fact that it doesn't matter who the bio, bio, biology is related to the birth mother mm. then has all the rights it just it doesn't seem to sit yeah. well with me if two people have made a family i understand that we can't um physically make a family but if we've gone through the steps that we need to take in the same way that a heterosexual couple would to have their child i just don't understand why you need to be married at the end of it yeah and to some degree you're going through a little bit well you're going through quite a lot more than you know a heterosexual couple because you've got a lot a lot more thinking we can't just have a you know a fun night and and, and this you know find out yeah find out oops <laughs> there's a baby we've, had, we've got a lot of thinking to do before we get to that point so because you've got to draw the line somewhere don't you in a way like because because it's not biological it's intellectual and it's abstract and like if say you were a woman who was in a lesbian relationship and you both decided to use a sperm donor but one the woman that was carrying was like I really want to do this for me are you kind of into it and the other woman was like yeah okay you're like yeah because you want to do it like fine let's do it and then was never really that committed and then was like look I'm I'm out then for her to still be the biological other parent feels like weird somehow but I don't know I find it I find it really interesting I, I'm kind of not like it's that's not an opinion that I'm sort of set on like I'm really willing to have my mind open to it but yeah I don't I don't know what do you think Stu? It's really interesting to learn because obviously from my side the adoption process with all the legalities in it is so different and actually as I said it wasn't actually something I knew I, I knew I knew when it came to surrogacy and surrogacy when you have the intended parents and then you have to go through the process but when it was donor conception like both you Kim and Jade and you Lottie have been through I didn't realize that the legalities were also there as well so if we've got a heterosexual couple who for whatever reason are going through fertility treatments and have IUI or IVF is it the same mm. for them as well? If they're that married, is a really good question. It's, it's not. I don't think so. I wouldn't. I don't is think it, it is. not based on people that we know that have been through oh, yeah. treatment? They're not married. That's okay. That changes everything in my mind. Then, yeah. then it feels like that's not fair. Yeah. yeah. Then they're not, and that's that is honestly based on a very close personal relationship. Oh, and, yeah. Right. And, yeah. And they're not married. Um, and have undergone IVF. So I imagine that it's it is completely different. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I, I suppose they look at it slightly differently if the biology from both of them yeah. plays a part, you know, I think that's probably the perspective. Yeah, I think it, is, it at. is looked at in a really old-fashioned way. But even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't the biological child of the man, or the woman, to say a man and a woman weren't, or, yeah. weren't married, but they were having IVF with donor sperm because the man was impotent. I don't know about that. Yeah. Listeners, if you know, please let us know. <laughs> Hello listener, we have a slight amendment to this episode that we wanted to let you know about as we have done some research and following our chat with Kim and Jade, some of you have written in to us and asked us to clarify 
about being the legal parent of a child. So, you can be the legal parent of a child in a same-sex couple if A, you are married or in a civil partnership, or if B, you have treatment in a UK licensed clinic. So, this means that if you have IUI or IVF in a registered clinic, you don't have to be married to be recognised as a legal parent. Of course, the reverse of this means if you have a sperm donor and you do the procedure yourself at home and you're not married, you may not be considered the legal parents of your child without being married. So hopefully that makes sense and you can find out lots more information in the show notes. So what were your next conversations after you'd agreed that you were going to have a child? How did you decide who was going to carry it and then also how you were going to do it? I think it's a balancing act. Um, we, we had we had conversations I definitely wasn't going to carry. You're thinking of it from a financial perspective. You're thinking about it from um, a success rate um, perspective. And also, you know, what it's going to do to you both emi- emotionally and physically. You yeah. have to go through it together and kind of just hash it out and see where, where you're comfortable, right? Um, it for me it was nice to actually be with a woman that wanted to be a mother but didn't want to be pregnant because I, I I guess it's really stereotypical but I always felt like that was my role within the relationship and then I think it was a balancing act we looked at the success rates we were told that it wasn't likely to happen very quickly um, it wasn't a quick process so we looked at buying our flat and we, we did a lot of things at the same time yeah that we probably wouldn't have done in hindsight with knowing that it had worked as quickly as it did. Jade, can I just ask about like your sense of self and kind of gender identity and how much a part that plays in your assertion that you, you just didn't want to be pregnant? Yeah, I mean, I don't, for me, I'm a, I'm a woman um, and that's how I, I identify. Um, it's just, I don't, for me, it didn't, that's not something that I, I, I kind of deal with in that, in that way, but it was just, um, it just didn't, it's just not something I ever kind of saw myself um, doing, you know, or or, mm. or being pregnant. It's just not something that I was ever kind of... I always saw children in my future, but I never saw myself, you know, pregnant or going through that kind of process. So Yeah, I think it, that just really resonates for me. You know, like, I feel like I always felt like I'd have children in my future, but never massively thought I might actually give birth. But I just ask, because I imagine so many gay women it's not even gender identity it's just sort of the way we see ourselves or see our bodies or are in the world and it's like it just doesn't feel right for us whereas there's other women who it does feel right for but but I also know you know I think that just that's just women in general so I think it's just um it just it's who you you know how comfortable you feel with the whole thing and then when it comes to the 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 biology then how did you decide whose egg you would use and even if even if Kim you were the birth mother how did you decide on who would be the donor? Uh, Jade comes from a really really massive family they're all really close. I just said why don't you know I've got a massive family why don't we think about doing something you know not that I not that I don't consider him my family he, even though we're not you know blood it's blood but why don't we just do something for your family from the sperm donor side of it obviously we try to align that much more with me uh, my background my ethnicity my yeah. we try to align that with me to kind of mesh um to complement kim's 
Sci- we were just really sad. We still are. We're just really sad that science hasn't caught up yet, that we can biologically make a baby together. Yeah, so. yeah. I know. It sucks, doesn't it? So we picked a donor. We searched high and low, I'd say continent to continent, across oceans to find a donor that matched as close as we could to Jay's. Yeah, so it, it had to be someone who resembled, well, the culture culturally... Uh, my family's my family's from the West Indies, so it had to be uh, someone that was. I'm from like my family. My grandparents are Jamaican, so it had to be from kind of Jamaican kind of background. With uh, being a black donor as well, there's less to choose from. Um, so um, you're kind of with with you. You're not spoiled for choice. Yeah, um, I'd say we were re- we were really lucky. We found a donor that we liked the look of in the states, and they were the, probably the closest match we found. Yeah, and then our clinic didn't support working with that bank for some reason. They weren't partnered with them, um, and we had to go back to the drawing board. And we were really lucky to find a bank in the UK. This black Jamaican donor came almost out of yeah. dust. We don't know where it came from, um, but personality matched up. As, as close as possible interests match up as close as possible race like when we when we found it, it was like let's just go before this before we can't you know before we don't before this, the chance is snatched away from us yeah let's do let's do this so and to be honest we, we had this conversation the other day and i couldn't imagine i we just couldn't imagine if it was any donor at all it doesn't seem like it would have made our son any different i know what you mean yeah I totally know what you mean. They were just going to be that person one way or the other because they, in a way, they're they're you guys, right? So whoever the genetic makeup was, you spend so much time poring over donor profiles, and then we had this conversation the other day. And we're just like, at the end of it, did it really matter? Probably not. It's just yeah. he is just a yeah. he is a product of us. Yeah. I think that's going to be really, really um, inspirational advice for people listening to this who are at that point of obsessing over donor sperm at the moment I think that's really great advice yeah could you just talk a bit about why it was important for you to feel like your child shared your mixed ethnicities for me it was again going back to the fact that we we couldn't have a child together biologically it was just Mm -hmm. trying to make that child as much us as we possibly can um and I think it was important for me for we didn't know if it was a him or a her but for him to be able to look at both of his parents and relate. Um, He doesn't have that biological parent on both sides, so it's important for him. For example, I'm I'm mixed race, but I present to anybody else as white because my skin is so fair. Our son's pretty dark. Um, He would never look at me and share the same experience as me, but he will look at Jade and they will share the same experience. It was that as well, but I think it was also because... um... I don't know, maybe if we chose, for example, a white donor, um, I would have felt like we're not biologically connected. And also, I can't, I don't want to make you feel isolated in in your experience with my family as well. So I don't want you to be the only one who has two mums in my family and the only one who is, do you know what I mean? I didn't want you to be the only everything. Um, So I think that as well, was some was part of the process as well what you want to you want him to Mm. feel i think there were many considerations but i think that the end thing for me was just that i wanted him to feel like he was as much both of us as he possibly could be and if he was uh made with my egg and then with a white donor or uh, an an asian donor or an oriental donor he wouldn't he wouldn't exactly be as close to us as he could be we are both his mum and that's that Mm. was important to us if he was fully white for example We'd walk down the street and no one would assume that you were his mum. Yeah. 
And just going back, you mentioned that finding a black donor was quite difficult. Yeah. So is there, would you say there's a definite, say, shortage of black donor sperm out there then? 100%. I think, it, I mean, I'm pretty sure it works for the egg side of things as well. Um, I don't know, you know, we don't make up that much of or the country or the population anyway. I think it's something like three percent or, or around that. We make a small a small number up of the country, and obviously, there's not a lot of people that are donating, you know, sperm and eggs. And I would say it's probably not something that's discussed widely within our community. It's no. not. It's not. It's not something that I know of anyone ever openly talking about no. the fact that they've needed donor sperm or they've needed donor eggs. And inevitably, in any race, it happens. People have fertility issues. People. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. want to be single parents people need to adopt so on and so forth but I would say it's not something that's openly discussed and I don't know if that brings a level of uncomfortableness when it comes to people that maybe would like to donate but feel like they shouldn't I mean if you're looking outside of the UK you're looking like towards America and and places like that then you know there is there is more of a a chance you'll find a black or mixed or you know yeah other um ethnicity um, but it's um, to c- give, certainly here. It's definitely a, sh- a shortage. Yeah, I was just gonna say to give you some context. When we looked at a sperm bank once, we put in uh, mixed or other just to see what would come up, and um, it came back with one result for somebody Turkish. Yeah, it is. It is really <laughs> limited in the UK. Yeah. So you chose your donor. You went and did you have IUI or IVF? Uh, we had IUI. The pregnancy experience. What was that like for you guys and Jade specifically? you know other mother to other mother how did you how did you find it uh, how did I find it um it was just weird I mean for me um it, it was it was a weird experience because obviously I've been around as Kim says I've got a large family so I've been around a lot of pregnancy but um I don't know it, it was weird I was you know I was supposed I was excited and nervous and all of those things um I don't know. How, how do you think I, how do you think I did it? Yeah, I don't know how it was for you, but I know from how you're, you were with me, I'd say you're definitely excited. 
Um, I, our son was a really, really night baby, a really active night baby. And I was a really deep sleeper. So I'd wake up in the morning and Jade would say, I can't believe you slept through that. And like show me videos of him literally having a party in my stomach. <laughs> so I think that I, in a strange way, I think that that was where I bonded with him physically carrying him. I feel like that was that time of night was your bonding time yeah. with him because I was literally dead to the world. I didn't have a clue that <laughs> she was having a rave inside yeah, yeah. my stomach. And yeah. it was and she was there filming it and showing the pictures and I feel like that was a, a kind of you had your own bonding as well. Yeah. Being yeah. a non pregnant parent. Yeah. Um but we also moved house when I we bought a, our flat and then found out I was pregnant. So we had to move house five months into the pregnancy and I'd say we were so focused on logistical stuff that a lot of the not a lot but I'd say a portion of the pregnancy kind of just happened yeah because yeah. there was so much other stuff going on as well yeah I mean I don't I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question so it's throwing me a little <laughs> bit but um yeah I, I don't know how, I don't really know what I was feeling at that time I was just on autopilot I think and it was just I need to get this this and this done to make sure that you know Kim's comfortable and that when the little guy gets here he's comfortable so I think that was my main kind of yeah, I think we're both quite quite logistical people. And don't get me wrong, the pregnancy was amazing. There was a lot of emotion behind it. And we were so happy that it happened so soon, if not a little bit shocked. And I think, like I said, they told us that IUI wasn't very successful and so on and so forth. So it just happened so quickly that there were so many other things going on that I don't think we had time to just sit there for the whole nine months and be like, oh, wow, we're pregnant and sit in this amazing cloudy bubble. Yeah. We just had to get on with stuff as well. So that when he arrived, he could not be in a cardboard box yeah and what about the birth was that uh straightforward I was almost a week overdue I think I was 40 weeks and six days and I hadn't really felt him moving much that day so we we went to the hospital and the nurse quite frankly said to us you're not leaving the hospital without your baby you're staying in now and we were like oh okay okay <laughs> um luckily the hospital bag was already in the boot so we were kind of prepped if not prepared and uh, I was induced um some hours later the induction failed long story short and after a really long um induction process of them trying to get different things to work it just resulted in an emergency c-section which was it was i mean yeah he got here safely yeah and it was just a bit rushed towards the end but it wasn't terrible it wasn't the way we planned it so i think that's important for anyone that hasn't, yeah. hasn't gone through this um don't write a birth plan and then do you remember like those first few weeks and how you what what sort of roles you both slipped into? I certainly think I was the less anxious one and I, I had more of a hands-on role than Kim did at mm. initially because she had the C section, so mm-hmm. it limited her, her physical movement quite a lot. So um for the first two to three weeks yeah. I was, you know, hands on everything. Um so I think that's where we kind of that's that was the initial Wrong, yeah, right? I, I would say, and in, in, in it's probably hard, I think I've written it quite a few times on Instagram and in blog posts, but it's probably, I've not said it on a public forum, that I really struggled to bond with our son at first, in a way that I never imagined that I would. Um, I loved him immediately, kind of without saying, but I think where I'd had the C-section and I just couldn't do anything, I couldn't wash him, um, I was struggling to breastfeed, I just, mm. it just didn't go the way that I was expecting it to go. Um I brushed over in antenatal, didn't I? When they kind of talked about C-sections, I, I listened, but I didn't really process it. I was like, nah, it's not what I'm having. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't prepared for it. And Jade will tell you, I read every book under the sun and oh. I was constantly researching, but 
I'd kind of really skimmed over the C-section parts and I kicked myself for not studying it a bit more because I felt like, well, maybe this is why I'm not bonding with if I don't know what to do. And what, what advice would you give to someone else now? Because obviously you came through that. Um, what w- advice would you give to a woman in a similar situation that's feeling like I'm not bonding with my baby in the way that I expected I would? I don't want to say that it's a one-size-fits-all thing because it doesn't, but I would say nine times out of ten, it will come. Um, I think we're conditioned to think that because you've given birth to this person, you just have this rush of love and adoration for them and you just know what to do and you don't. Um, yeah, I would say it, it came. It didn't take me more than, I'd say, four or five days. It, it came quite soon. Once I once I got over the fact that I understood I was feeling like that because I couldn't do things like wash my baby mm. or change my baby's nappy, um, once I got over that, I understood it a bit more. So for me, it was more processing. But I think emotionally, you're just taught to love this person, but you don't know them. Yeah. And I think, mm. I think I mean, I don't know, but I think for you, it probably it was more of the physical side of things that was, you know, had, an, had a mental, you know, had an effect on the emotion Definitely. rather than, you know. It, was, it, it wasn't, wasn't an emotional, emotional thing. I didn't thing. struggle to love him. I loved him. I just, I couldn't bond I couldn't, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't bond because in my head I hadn't computed that I just had major surgery. Yeah, and you used the word expect as well. It was like what was expected of you. And I think that word is so key in in all types of parenting that you're expected to act or be a certain way when you have children whatever means and there is no one size fits all expectation I suppose particularly Stu in adoption you you know like there's such emphasis put on that moment that you're going to first bring your kids home and maybe when you first bring them home maybe you have a nightmare night maybe they don't sleep maybe it's difficult maybe it's not this perfect thing that you thought it was going to be um and I suppose just giving things time not expecting as you say that everything's just going to be perfect straight away so okay where are we up to you've um you've had the c-section you bonded with your son and you've gone home so those uh, sort of early months up to a year when you were kind of going out and about with him in a pushchair did you ever feel like self-conscious or that people were making judgments about you or um and particularly given your mixed race um backgrounds like did you ever feel that uncomfortable or that people were making you feel unwelcome in any any place that you went so I think probably it's for me, I went to a lot of baby groups. Uh, Jade was back at work, and so I was probably day-to-day more out and about with him. And I didn't get that straight away because, as you know, you probably, you go into these places, you don't tell everyone your life story straight away. So people just assumed his mum and baby. Um, but then as you start talking to people more and then you start saying, oh, I know my wife and Tate's other mum and so on, they, I didn't get any negative responses. I wouldn't say that. I've, I've luckily never had anything really, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. But... I had a few ignorant responses um, and just a few, oh, so who's the dad? And and you have to re- really nicely point out, but quite firmly, he doesn't have a dad, he's got a donor um, and just correct language. And then in terms mm-hmm. of his race, I just, again, it's just really ignorant questions. We we lived in a really, I'd say, predominantly white area was the, the demographic. And you'd have just really, really ignorant questions like, oh, look at his hair. He had a lot of hair when he was born. 
um, oh, look at his hair. Oh, I, th- I thought he'd have afro, you know, because he's black. And I'm like, well, black babies aren't born with an afro. It's not how it works. So there was, <laughs> there was just a, a few ignorant comments around things like that. More than people being nasty, it was ignorance, I'd say. So it sounds like Aunt Sally has been hanging out down the mother and baby groups. <laughs> As he's got older, has he sort of, how he's two now, right? He's almost two and a half, yeah. Has he kind of picked up on the fact that he's got two mums yet? Yes, he has actually. He's saying <laughs> yeah. he's saying it. Um, he's got like a little wooden bus with little characters on there, and he always seems to say, you know, to one the, the the white one is Kim, and and the black one is is me, and that's, <laughs> that's my two mums. That's two mums, two mums. He says it all the time. Yeah, so. my, mine's, mine's mine's pink and blonde. I'm not sure yeah. if he's got the looks down yet. But <laughs> yeah. But he understands the concept. <laughs> and do you, what do you call each other? What, or what does he call you both? Sorry. So I'm Mama and Jade's Mummy. Because you, you very kindly, you sent us in a question, Kim, in one of our previous episodes, how we're going to talk about being same-sex parents with our children. So has Tate, although apart from the bus and, and the figurines, has he actually asked yet or shown anything like that? Or have you thought about how you're going to do it? Um, we have been thinking mm. about it. Um... He's starting to get more inquisitive, so I think it's forced us to think about it. He's not asked. In- and inquisitive about a dad? About family. Yeah, yeah. he mentions dad a lot, you know, because he, every, he? everything that he watches is, you know, any any family that is on a cartoon or, you know, Peppa Pig or... Yeah, so what kind of thing does he say? He, just whenever he's talking about a family, it's, it's normally it's mummy, daddy, um, or he's 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 pretty sexist to be honest. For, yeah. for a kid with two mums, he prefers men. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he really he, does. He's, he's, he's very much for you know granddad and uncle. He's yeah. very much. If he picks up his Peppa Pig figurines, he straight away goes for for Daddy Pig and George. He's, yeah, he's just geared towards really? preferring men, which yeah. is yeah. What can we do about it? We try not to say, oh, you don't have a dad, but we say, oh, Tate's got two mummies. Um, Tate's got mama and mummy, and we're just really gently broaching the subject with him. Um, so then he picks up the same actual bus figurine and says, two daddies. And we've not told him anything about two daddies. He's just put that together himself. So I think Sweet. he's still really young. We don't want to force it on him when he's not necessarily going to understand just yet. Yeah, but yeah. We, also, we also don't want to leave it to the point where, you know, he yeah. he feels uncomfortable, you know, outside of the house. when it's Because when, it's going to be brought up to him. You know, the the fact is that I'm 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 very aware of that outside of this house, outside of our family, it's gonna be potentially a problem for some people, and he's gonna be, you know, I'm I want to prepare him for for that and make him feel comfortable in his, you know, in his skin and his and in his you know his family dynamic. Yeah, what I've loved about doing this series is that I feel like every um LGBTQ parent that we've met has just been doing such an amazing job of raising um emotionally intelligent kids you know we're all trying so hard to create these kids that are going to be able to go out into the world and deal with whatever prejudice life throws at them and give them the tools to respond to people's ignorance and you know we're I think we should all feel really proud that we're um sending these people off into the world you know like we're we're trying and I think it's really good that we're trying yeah I agree I think um, it's really nice of where our generation is in terms of being able to be with who you want to be with or be who you are is so much more widely accepted not everywhere but we're getting there and I think what that means is that hopefully those of us that are choosing to have children 
will raise another generation of open-minded individuals that it's an even even more free generation even more able to see people's differences and respect them without mm. ignorance i think a lot of it comes down to ignorance i think more than hate and yeah that's 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 another thing of, of that i i've considered is outs is not just you know us these within this house it's also outside i'm the, I'm the oldest child and my mum doesn't have any other grandchildren and she 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 totally <laughs> adores you know a bit son. a bit too much a bit, she's a bit crazy over <laughs> it. but um also for her i mean I don't know, dealing with, she's never said it, but I'm saying dealing with, you know, your daughter that's gay and then you're, you're having a, a grandchild that's not biologically yours. It, I'm, I'm putting a lot on other people. My my uh, my life is kind of putting a lot on other people's lives as well, if you get what I mean, yeah. some, to some degree. Is that something that you've had to had to deal with? It sounds like your, your close family's fantastic and you're obviously very close to your mum, but... I think it's, you know, fair to say Jamaica's not the most pro-LGBTQ place at all and with many things still being illegal and unions not being recognised. So is that something you've had to kind of face and deal with, especially from a parenting point of view? Yeah, I mean, from my, in terms, I've been really lucky. and I, You know, um, I don't have one of those uh, Jamaican families that are, you know, out there trying to kill gay people. But... <laughs> But um, I do, you know, have a big family, not just not just um, my, you know, my mum's siblings, but I've got a lot of cousins outside of that as well and stuff like that. Um, and I know that there's probably people with opinions that haven't said certain things to me. Um, but I kind of took the took the I came out pretty late, I suppose. Um, and I think I took the. I was of the opinion in that time to just live my life the way I wanted to live it. Um, and obviously I have to consider, you know, my mum's feelings and people are going to adapt, have to adapt to, to, to this because it's not, it's not, it's not been done before. Um, you know, I'm the first to do it. So, um, but I've been pretty lucky and I have had support. We've had the most support. Yeah. Um, and everyone, you know, we've never been made to feel anything. I honestly couldn't, different. I couldn't, it's like, I don't know, you couldn't write down, I couldn't wish for better in-laws, honestly. It's the complete opposite of what Jade has with my family, put it like that. It's, I, I couldn't, they couldn't have welcomed me anymore. And like you said, I don't think in, in the immediate family, I think in the extended family, there are for sure there are people that think the way that we live is wrong, that don't understand that our son is both of ours. There's definitely those opinions, but nobody yeah. is has, has been brazen enough yeah. to come out with those, and I don't think they will. And also because I'm pretty um, assertive. So, you know, if, if those things did, did come to me, then I would, you know, I would address it. And it, and that would be that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone close enough would, would voice an opinion if they had one. And I don't think anyone close to us does have uh, a negative opinion. Good. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you've got that support around you. Don't get me yeah. wrong. We, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go on holiday to Jamaica and start waving our rainbow flags no, around because it's pretty sensible. <laughs> So I always love hearing from other two mum families, I guess because I just don't know that many of them myself. So I don't often have conversations with people where I feel like that's exactly like me and I felt like that and we, you know, we're the same. For me, it's about learning throughout this whole podcast about how other people in our queer community raise children and and have children so finding out those different details I just find fascinating there was something I was thinking of during the um 
during the chat with Kim and Jade, actually, which is something I've never asked you or any of our guests about about donor preferences. Does the donor ever have any preference in terms of, I mean, can they discriminate in any way? For example, can the donor, the donor can't say, I don't want a same-sex couple to have my sperm. Mm -mm. No, they just donate their sperm and then what will be done will be done with it. They certainly don't get a say. And that's, I think that's really important. That's really important to, to us as the receivers of it, that, that it feels it feels quite depersonalized and the whole process makes you is geared towards that feeling so yeah it's an interesting question though so listener we are also going to follow up on the subject of guardianship and parental responsibility and homosexual versus heterosexuals in this arena Lottie and I are not experts yeah, we're going to get fully Erin Brockovich about this and we're going to we're going to sniff out the truth and I'm going to get big gonna, hair. Yeah, we're going to go <laughs> yeah, it's going to be our Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> Two different film references that didn't work. But yeah, we'd love to know if you just know the answer just tell us because yeah, we want to know if we should be outraged or not. Absolutely. So get in touch. Our email is somefamilies at storyhunter.co.uk. And we are on Instagram, which is my preferred means of uh, communication, if anyone's interested to get in touch with me, which is at somefamiliespod. And my personal Instagram is at Lottie Jeffs. And Stu, you are... At Mr. Stu Oakley, which looks a bit like Mrs to Oakley but it's not it's <laughs> at Mr Stu Oakley <laughs> uh, it's like when Susan Boyle did her album launch and it was Susan's <laughs> anal bump party <laughs> uh, oh, um, and on that and on that bum note uh, it's time to say goodnight goodnight everybody thank you for listening thank you goodbye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.